Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Well, it is the week after Christmas, and uh, according to the internet, this is the week during which nobody knows what day of the week it is, so it's Wednesday, and uh, everybody's just a little bloated because we all enjoyed the holiday and uh, enjoyed some foods we might not otherwise enjoy, and particularly this week, we, for some reason, eat a lot of cheese. So <laughs> as the internet would say, we, we are confused and bloated and in debt probably and eating something with cheese. So I hope this week's going well for everybody. <laughs> uh, well, and I'll, I'll confess, we are recording this early. Yep. So we, we are not actively recording this in the moment. Um, so it is earlier in the in the month of December as we record this. So we are looking forward to that week in between Christmas and New Year and pray that you have had a joyous Christmas and that you are looking forward to a wonderful Christ-centered New Year. Yeah. So this episode is going to be a lot like the week in which this is going to drop. We're going to be talking about a lot of the themes of Advent and Christmas, but we're also going to be keeping an eye on the New Year. So yeah. If you're if you're Christmased out, don't worry. There's a lot of forward-looking uh, thought today. <laughs> That's right. And uh, if you haven't had enough Christmas, then hey, we're still continuing on with the same conversations. So that's yeah. that's a great way to put it. <laughs> it's holly jolly, looking to the new year. Hey. So John three sixteen. Uh, we've been talking about John three sixteen. Uh, we've been talking about the love of God and the incarnation, and uh, a lot of this is summed up in this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So this is the most recognizable verse in the Bible. You see it in signs and end zones everywhere. The end zone verse. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that probably means that we take it for granted on some level. So I wanted to, you know, take a different angle at it. So so we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, and we need God's loving gift, his son, Jesus. But how exactly is the son given for us? Why does his suffering and death end up being efficacious for us getting eternal life? Well, that is a phenomenal question. And really what you're asking about is the mechanism of salvation. And that mechanism is given in one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me go back and modify some of those pronouns. For our sake he, God the Father, made him God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus, who is God the Son, knew no sin. He had not sinned in thought, word, deed, action, attitude, by commission or by omission. And God made him to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so this amazing exchange happens with Jesus at the cross. Jesus, who is the perfect spotless Lamb of God, who never sinned in any way whatsoever, has our sin imputed to him. In other words, our sin is laid upon him and charged against him, even though he himself had done nothing wrong. For our sins, he bore he bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
So he took our sin so that we could then receive the imputation of his righteousness. So he himself had no sin of his own. He took ours upon himself. We ourselves were not righteous. Romans 3 tells us there is no one righteous. No, not one. All have turned away from God. So by his death on the cross, he has made it possible for his perfect experiential sinless righteousness to be imputed to us, to be given to us, such that if we are in Christ, we've repented of our sin and received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. When we stand before Almighty God in judgment, what he sees is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. That is the most important understanding that any of us can have about salvation. The way that I explain it to kids is this. Imagine you're at home with your sibling. You have a sibling, Jordan, and Mm -hmm. you guys grew up in the same house. And you guys got along well. I'm sure you get along really well now. But I can imagine that you all had rules in your home. And let's say that you broke one of those rules. Well, when you break a rule, you get punished. So whatever your punishment was going to be, let's say you were going to be grounded. You broke one of your parents' rules in the house. You were going to be grounded. Everybody knew you'd broken it. You couldn't, you know, there was no way you could conceal it. They were aware of it. You were aware of it. And your brother Andrew was aware of it. Well, let's say before you were punished, your brother Andrew came and said, Mom and Dad, I know that Jordan broke the rule. And I know that he fully deserves the punishment that he's about to receive. However, even though I didn't break the rule, and even though I don't deserve punishment, I want you to punish me instead of Jordan. And I always ask kids at that point, do you think your brother would ever do that? And they're, no, you know, that kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and in my house, it wouldn't happen that way either. Um, but, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He came in and served as our substitute, taking the wrath of God that was rightly due to our sin upon himself. The big theological word there is that God made Jesus the propitiation for our sins. And what does propitiation mean? What does propitiation mean? It means that a substitute averts the wrath from the guilty party to the substitute. So you go back to Leviticus chapter 16 and 17 and the, the, the giving of Yom Kippur. You have two goats. You have the goat of propitiation, the goat of expiation. The goat of propitiation is the goat that is killed and whose blood is sprinkled in the Holy of Holies to atone for the sin of the people. The other goat, uh, the goat of expiation, is taken out into the wilderness, truly the scapegoat. So removing the blame and the guilt of the people. So uh, propitiation means that God's wrath was averted from me to Jesus, my sacred substitute who is the perfect lamb of God. Expiation means that the guilt and blame for my sin has been averted from me Upon Jesus. So he removes the shame. So that's how it works. And really, that's why it's so important to understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. If you don't, if you don't have an understanding of 
really the, the, the sacrificial system, if you don't have an understanding of Yom Kippur, if you don't have an understanding of substitutionary atonement, you can't understand the weight of the cross. And I know that there are so many people who say, oh, on the cross, the love of God was magnified. And I absolutely affirm and believe that. However, to fully understand how the love of God was on display we have to understand what was happening there. So, man, what a great question, Jordan. Thank you for asking that question and for helping us to see that the love of God on display at the cross was so much deeper than just an example or a, a speaking of that love, but rather it is the, the love of God whereby he gave his son, his only begotten son, to be slaughtered for us. You know, Abraham, when he was getting ready to give his only begotten righteous son, uh, Isaac was righteous because he was given by God. He was the child of the promise. God stopped Abraham's hand, and he provided a substitute, a ram with its horns stuck in a thicket. Interestingly, God's substitute then on Mount Moriah was uh, a ram with its head encircled in thorns. Weird. A couple thousand years later, God's substitute on Mount Moriah was uh, the Lamb of God with his head encircled in thorns. Hmm. It's almost as if God was making a connection there. So anyway, um, that's how the love of God was on display. Great question. Yeah. Well, and you brought up sacrifices in the temple, and I'm full of cheese right now, so uh, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Uh, well, so in talking about that, it— brought to mind that uh, in in the temple service and in sacrifices, it was, you know, assumed that animals are innocent. So animals, you know, don't commit sins. They're without sin in some sense. I right. mean, they literally are without sin because they're just animals. Um, so, it, you know, their blood being put upon the altar is representative of something innocent, you know, taking the place of or something innocent being before God and us realizing as hum humans, uh, specifically in this instance, Jewish people doing the sacrifices, that yes. you know w we are not innocent. Um, there's something that is amiss and needs to be rectified. So, like you were talking about with the goat of propitiation, its blood would be uh, put on the altar uh, during the day of Yom Kippur, and it atoned for the people, but it also atoned for the uh, the tabernacle or the temple itself, which is kind of an odd thing to think about. Like, why do you need to atone for? A building, the building hasn't done anything wrong, right? right? Um, but actually, the if you go a little bit deeper, there's this stain, there's this uh, disconnect because of sin. There's this layer of dirt that needs to be removed, and it's not a layer of dirt, it's not a layer of blood, it's not a layer of anything physical. It's this residue left by sin that needs yeah. to be taken away, um, and that was accomplished on Yom Kippur with the Yom Kippur sacrifice. Atonement was brought to the people year after year with that. And when you understand that, then Jesus' death makes so much more sense. Oh, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not an animal. He is a man. And yet, he was without sin. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, even more efficacious. And it's on a completely different, like, plane and level than, you know, animal sacrifice. It's not, yeah. they're not, you know, they're they're analogs for each other, but they're not not even close to each other in some sense. Right. Yeah. And so then when you think of what John the Baptist said when Jesus appeared there in the Judean wilderness, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a statement. Yeah. What a statement. 
and then you look at the themes of Passover and the Paschal Lamb, and there's so much there. So we could we could go deep diving into that. We won't do that right now because everybody's mind is probably blown right now. You're not sure whether to watch Christmas movies or you know New Year's movies or whatever. But there's there's so much there. Um, but suffice it to say. If you want to see the true nature and extent of the love of Almighty God for you, look to the manger, look to the cross, and know that God gave his only begotten son for you so that you might have everlasting life. What a love, my goodness. What a love. Well, and, you know, John talks about love a lot in his writings. So there's John 3.16, but then there's just, I mean, it would be a very long list if we talked about all of the passages in John, you know, first John, second John, third John, where right. he references love and how that connects, you know, the Father to Jesus to us and everything therein. Yeah. Um, but looking at a specific passage, first John four eight, he says, God is love. Yeah. So <laughs> staying in the theme of getting into huge theological questions right just after a Christmas. Little. Yeah. yeah, just a little. Um, in what way is the Immortal, invisible, omnipresent God, love. That's that's a big question. Yeah. So, so we're talking about the fundamental nature of who God is. You think about God, you think about attributes, and 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 so you mentioned some of those attributes. But when we think about the attributes of God, we think about the fact that He is omnipresent. He is all places at all times. Uh, he is omniscient. He is omniscient meaning that he knows all things. He knows everything about everything about everything. Um, he is omnipotent or omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful and there is nothing that he cannot do. His hand is not stayed. He is, he is able to do all things to accomplish his will. Anything that he wants to do, he can do that thing. Um, but, but when the Bible says that God is love, let me, let me make one statement that's really important here. You can't flip that statement around. I think about the commutative property of math. Mm. The commutative property of math, which works with addition and multiplication, is that 2 plus 3 is the same as 3 plus 2, and 2 times 3 is the same as 3 times 2. Well, God is love is not the same as love is God. Mm. And that's a distinction that's very, very important. That's a distinction that we have to keep in mind because our world today will seek to say, if God is love, then love is God. And even going down to a, a little statement that sounds like everybody ought to be able to agree with this, like love wins. Well, okay, what love? <laughs> what yeah. is that love? Define that love. Describe that love. Is that love the love that God shows? Is that love the love that God describes in 1 Corinthians 13, for example? Is that, um, is that uh, God's love? Because the true statement is God wins in the end, right? Yeah. But not everything we describe as love or define as love is going to win in the end. And so we, that's just an important distinction there. Yeah. But you know, the Bible says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And obviously, love is a good and perfect gift. Romans 8 would tell us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Love is, is the overflow, the, the abundance of God's very nature, if that makes sense. And so 
when God looks upon us, he looks upon us with love, meaning that his general disposition toward us is one of love. And that is that is something that is emanating from his very being. It is it is part of his ontology. He is um, he he is not acting with love. He is not feeling love. He is overflowing from the essence of himself toward us. And um, man, that's hard for us to understand. You know that there there are some questions that just so put on display the fact that God is infinite and we are finite. <laughs> and so um, it is hard for us to grasp that. But I think it's very important for us to look at passages like 1 Corinthians 13 and say, God, how do you describe love? Um, to look at passages like John 3, and particularly John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um that those passages help us understand that this is this is God acting according to His character toward us, and um, yeah, I don't know if that's clear, but that's that's the best I got in the week when we don't know what day it is. <laughs> no, that was a great answer. I mean, it's like you're saying there is no you you could exhaust all conversations and still not really get there because he's he's the immortal invisible god that created everything and is outside of reality because he created reality so then we think about one of our classic christian hymns um, entitled the love of god and you think about the love of god is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell and then uh my goodness, the third verse always speaks to my heart. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Wow. And I'm sitting here reading this with goosebumps. You know, it's just there's a reason that that song has endured for so long. Um, in fact, it was written in 1917. It is over a hundred years old, and yet it still speaks to our hearts today. So, um, you're right. It, it having this discussion is so important, but it's so limited. <laughs> we we can't we can't say enough, and. Um, God's love is so good. Amen. Okay, we're going into 2024. We're going to gird our loins, pull up our stretchy waistpants, and (laughs) talk about New Year's goals. God help us. (laughs) So today's practical application question is, as we head into 2024, how can we set worthwhile New Year's goals and actually keep them? Intentionality. We are going to talk about intentionality this Sunday, Lord willing. We're going to talk about being decided to be intentional. And and what I have found, Jordan, is if I am not intentional about it, whatever it is, it will drift away. Mm. Nobody drifts into excellence. Nobody drifts toward God. We always drift away from virtuous things, and we certainly always drift away from God. 
So I want to encourage people to be intentional. Um, if you have a goal, if you have a desire, you're going to, let's say you're going to read the Bible with us this year. We're going to, we're going to read the Bible through again this year as a church. And for me, what that means is I have to be intentional that first thing in the morning, that's where I'm going. When I get up, that's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get ready. And I've shared before on the podcast, when I get in the truck to go to the gym to work out, I'm listening to the reading because faith comes by hearing and I'm an auditory learner and I pick up more hearing it than I do reading it uh, with my eyes. So that's a, that's an intentional practice that I have. And what's, what's interesting is if I don't go to the gym, then sometimes I can miss that reading because I've got another appointment or something like that. Um, I don't have too many appointments that come at five in the morning, but sometimes they do. Um, and so, but I can go the day and it's like all of a sudden I'm like, what has happened? What is wrong? You know, so for me, I have to have the intentionality of getting up, getting in the word, getting to the gym. I have to be intentional about what I eat. For me, that becomes intentionality about when I eat. I have to have intentionality about when I get in the bed because sleep is vitally important. And so what I have learned through through much error and through many mistakes um, and through letting my life get out of control several times is I have to be intentional about doing it. And if I'm not, then I'm going to pay for it. So that's that's my best piece of advice that that I can give. That's really great advice, Jeff. And listeners, we're really excited to go into this new year with you. We really appreciate you listening this year and listening into 2024. As always, as you walk on your path of discipleship, if you have questions, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below, and we'll try to get into those questions in 2024. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Lord, as we yet again have remembered the incarnation, that great expression of your love for us, that you have sent your only begotten Son, that we might have everlasting life. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for the ways in which we've gotten to celebrate that. We're thankful for the ways in which we have gotten to worship you together with our church family. And we're thankful that you are a God of new beginnings. And as we approach a new year, we pray that we would approach it with intentionality, and with the chief intention among all of them being that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and go according to your leadership and guidance in our lives. Help us to be healthy. Help us to be good stewards of all that you've entrusted to our care, including our bodies and including our minds and including our spiritual life. Help us to read your word daily and to commune with you through prayer. Help us to be intentional about being a part of the body of Christ and and loving one another and helping bear one another's burdens and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Help us be the people of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fu Ying Engdahl.